1: And away we go, episode 244 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, February 4th, 2022. Is anything big happening with the team now known as the Commanders today? I mean, Wednesday, we had a new name. Thursday, we had new allegations levied against Dan Snyder at a roundtable before Congress regarding The team's workplace misconduct scandal. What's going to happen on this Friday? I can only imagine. I tell you, that roundtable was something else. I don't know how many of you had the time to watch the roundtable. Some of the highlights are online. Uh, I have for you on this show the key audio from the roundtable. But here's the bottom line. Multiple new Dan Snyder-specific allegations from former Washington employees in the workplace misconduct scandal, including major allegations from one woman. Uh, what was said, why it's a big deal, what it could all mean, and much more. All of that is coming up next segment. You know, Rod Rivera has said that the announcement of the new name was the chance for a fresh start and that people should judge the team now moving forward rather than on what happened in the past. Uh, That sounds great. That sounds swell. Tell that to these women, okay? Tell that to Tiffany Johnston, because if what she said about Dan Snyder is true, there ain't no erasing that. There ain't no forgetting that. Now, Danny struck back with a statement on Thursday, vehemently denying the allegations. Again, I'll get to all of this, Next segment. Also on the show, the patch, the crest. Yes, we will do patch talk. We will do crest talk regarding our commanders. The three Super Bowl winning years on the commander's crest are wrong. Uh, Jason Wright addressed this on Thursday. Now he defended the years being the correct years. They are not the correct years. So you'll hear what Jason said. And my reaction to that, we're going to go from serious allegations of sexual misconduct for Dan Snyder to the years on the crest For the commanders. Uh, That'll be quite the transition, but such is life right now for us as fans of the commanders. And there's no podcast that covers the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders like the Al Galdi podcast. I'll put what we do and how we do it up against anybody still going strong. Top 60 in the country on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. football category. Thank you to all of you for subscribing, for downloading, for rating, for reviewing. All of that stuff matters. All of that stuff is appreciated. The five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help a lot, as do the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Just a sentence or two on how much you like the pod. Uh, Also on the show, Georgetown. Its horrendous season continues. A 90-77 loss to St. John's at McDonough Arena on Thursday evening to fall to 0-9 in the Big East. I'll talk Hoyas later in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the podcast at yahoo.com. So much feedback on the name Commanders and on the reveal of the name Commanders and on the rollout of the name Commanders commanders email from Marlon G love the show but I have one honest question why do we drag Doug Williams through this he was dragged to the forefront when we acquired Reuben Foster and now this Doug has been with the organization for a long time he got demoted but the team made it seem like he was getting a promotion is Doug a shield of deflection for Dan Snyder Doug don't deserve this uh, Thank you for the email, Marlon. Yeah, man, poor Doug Williams, poor Dougie Fresh. You know, Doug always is the one who gets propped up in these situations. And look, there's a reason for that. He's Doug Williams. He's a Redskins legend, MVP, of Super Bowl 22 first black quarterback to start in a Super Bowl, first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. He quarterbacked the greatest quarter in Super Bowl history, the 35-point explosion in the 42-10 blowout of the Denver Broncos in Super Bowl 22 for the 1987 Redskins, not the 1988 Redskins, uh, contrary to what that commander's crest says. Anyway, look, as long as Doug continues to stay with the team, He's going to be used this way. I mean, that's just the truth. All right, Doug Williams has been in the team's front office since February 2014. He was a senior personnel executive for the team from February 2014 to June 2017. He was the team's senior vice president of player personnel from June 2017 to January 2020. But since Ron Rivera took over, Doug has been out. Of player personnel. He was the team's senior director of player development from January 2020 to February 2021, and he now is the senior advisor to team president Jason Wright. I mean, here's the bottom line all right, Doug Williams is a ceremonial figure for the team. That's just the truth. And my guess is that this isn't what Doug Williams wants. My guess is that what Doug Williams wants is to be in player personnel, but Rod Rivera clearly does not want Doug Williams in player personnel. And so Doug is used in the way that he's currently used. And, you know, he's put out there in front of the cameras and he's on the Today Show helping to announce the new name Commanders. And let's be honest, Doug was used this way even when he was in player personnel, because as Marlon said, Doug took the bullets for Bruce Allen when the team claimed Ruben Foster off waivers in November 2018. Look, Doug could leave the organization if he wanted to, but I'm sure he's making good money, and he is constantly lauded by the team as a hero for what he did in Super Bowl 22. And so, you know, you think about it, Doug may well figure, look, I'm worth more to the commanders than I would be worth to any other NFL team, even though another NFL team might give me a role in player personnel. Email from Jim Landry, hey Al, my reaction to the new name is probably the same reaction as most people's reactions, unsurprised and uninspired. I hope that it takes a similar trajectory as the Nats. I remember when the Nats arrived and the name was met with some apathy and the logos were a bit generic looking. Eventually, the branding matured a bit with some of the alternate uniforms becoming more popular. Obviously, the World Series run really made the Navy jerseys with script nationals across the front more iconic than others. Ultimately, it comes down to what you and others have said, winning. Winning is all that matters. The Nats figured that part out. Can the Commanders, parentheses, first time typing that, weird, history, not on their side. Love the show. Well, thank you for that, Jim. Yeah, the Nationals do offer a good roadmap for the Commanders. And while the Nats were never considered as dysfunctional as the Commanders have been considered, the Nats did have plenty of dysfunctional occurrences, right? I mean, think the Natinals uniform embarrassment. Think the Smiley Gonzalez scandal. Uh, email from James Bailey. Subject of the email: Name change. Body of the email: Simply love it. That's it. Well, that's good. Good for you, James. I'm glad that you like the name. As I said on Thursday show, episode 243, I don't hate Commanders as the name. I don't think that Commanders is that bad of a name, but I may be in the minority on that. Email from Jordan from Jersey. First time emailing you, but. I thought this was a good one. Been listening to you speak about, hey, how could we shorten the commanders? You just can't, can you? Well, I have one for you that I've seen floating around social media lately, and it's kind of hilarious and a perfect example of how our organization has once again failed to think through everything. Maybe you've seen this. You ready? The commies. We have a red, burgundy and yellow, gold team based out of D.C., that named itself after something that could be shortened to commies. Who needs Putin when we got Danny? We can replace the hog masks with some sweet Soviet-looking winter hats. At least now, I better understand how the culture change could take five years. Parentheses, Soviet, five-year planning. Thank you for the email, Jordan. So, yeah, the commies joke has been made a lot. And by a lot, I mean a lot, okay? Uh, But I thought that that was a creative email by Jordan in Jersey. Email from Brent in Northeast D.C. Take a listen to this. Being out and about on Wednesday morning, I was happy to see more Redskins gear worn by the general public than I have in several years. It was noticeable. People of all ages, shapes, and sizes were rocking the now throwback gear in tribute. In seeing that, something occurred to me. Daniel Snyder doesn't own the Redskins anymore. The Redskins are no longer located in Ashburn, Virginia, and no longer play games at FedEx Field. The Redskins aren't one of the worst franchises in the NFL, and the Redskins aren't dead last in attendance. They never deserved to be. Those are Dan Snyder's accomplishments. Dan never lived up to the franchise's name, and it is fitting that it was taken from him. You could argue that clinging to that name was the best thing that Dan had going for him. Former Skins fans can now fully disassociate Dan Snyder from the Redskins and don't have to feel like their team and brand are being dragged through the mud each and every week. Wednesday morning on the Today Show, I looked at Jason Wright sitting in that always empty stadium in Landover. It appears as if he defends and speaks on behalf of a former Redskins organization. It was obvious to me that he does not speak for Redskins fans. He has no more connection or association to the Redskins than the Today Show host interviewing him. This well-spoken, bright guy was put out there to play defense and answer questions on diversity, sexual, and racial politics and controversies for Dan Snyder for 90% of the airtime. That sure was some team name, brand, logo, and jersey reveal 18 months in the making. Wednesday actually felt like a good day to me as a Redskins fan. Seeing the commander's lackluster reveal and disassociating with it, and then simultaneously seeing all of the Redskins gear made it clear to me the fans got the Redskins back from Dan on Wednesday. Commander Dan's got his own team now. The purposely vanilla name, the mediocre jerseys and logos, the dilapidated stadium that no one wants to go to, the controversies, and annually, the terrible football team. Cheers, Al. Wednesday was a good day. Very interesting perspective, Brent. Well done. It is appropriate in an odd way, isn't it, that ultimately Redskins was taken away from Dan Snyder. He no longer owns the Redskins, and that does feel fitting. Maybe Wednesday was a better day than any of us realized. There's a positive spin for you for this week. Well, we know that the last two years have not featured nearly enough good days due to the COVID 19 pandemic. If you own or run a Washington, D.C. based or West Virginia based business, the law firm of Polson and Nace can help you with your business insurance policy. A business insurance policy is meant to reimburse you for losses incurred in catastrophes like fires or burglaries. But business insurance also includes business interruption insurance. With the pandemic and resulting restrictions, there may be legal options available to you to recoup your losses. Contact Paulson and NACE to find out more. The attorneys at Paulson and NACE can help you review your business insurance policy, and understand what options you have in running a business in these uncertain times. You see, Paulson & Nace is a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wrong. Paulson & Nace will fight for you. Additionally, Paulson & Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. Paulson and NACE offers fierce advocacy on behalf of medical malpractice, birth injury, and personal injury victims throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. If you have a case, contact Paulson and NACE. Whether you're dealing with a business insurance situation, personal injury situation, or medical malpractice situation, contact Paulson and and Nace. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. These guys are excellent at what they do, and these guys win. Call Paulson and Nace and schedule a a no-obligation appointment. Yes, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace and see what Paulson and Nace can do for you. That phone number is 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Well, we have had plenty of crazy days, weeks, months, and years in the history, especially the recent history of the NFL team formerly known as the Redskins, then known as the Washington football team, and now known as the Commanders. But the two-day period of Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022, and Thursday, February 3rd, 2022, goes down as one of the wildest. Uh, It was on Wednesday, of course, that we had the announcement of the new name of the team, Commanders. It was on Thursday that we had the owner of the team, Dan Snyder, lambasted via multiple former Washington employees in front of Congress. Uh, We on Thursday, one day after the former Washington football team announced its new name as Commanders, had what was called, quote, a hybrid roundtable with several former Washington football team employees to discuss issues of workplace misconduct and the National Football League's failure to take steps to prevent sexual harassment and verbal abuse within the WFT under the leadership of owner Dan Snyder, end quote. Uh, The roundtable had been announced the previous Thursday, January 27th by Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform. The roundtable was hosted by Representative Maloney and Representative Raja Krishnamoorthy, chairman of the Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy. Representative Maloney and Representative Krishnamoorthy are the two people who sent that letter to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell this past October 21st requesting documents and information regarding the team's workplace misconduct scandal. The hybrid roundtable on Thursday uh, was held in a traditional hearing room and was live streamed via YouTube and on the website for the Committee on Oversight and Reform. Now, the participants in the roundtable were not sworn in, but the entire thing was broadcast on the internet and thus resulted in audio, a lot of audio emerging. And that right there is key. You know, this workplace misconduct scandal started in July 2020 with the publication of that first piece by the Washington Post on the scandal. Since then, there have been plenty of articles on the scandal, as well as plenty of interviews of victims in the scandal. So it's not like there wasn't a lot out there already about the scandal, including audio. But... What happened on Thursday made for A, fresh audio, B, in some cases, audio with new revelations, and C, audio that came before Congress as opposed to audio that came on a podcast, a radio show, or a television show. So what happened on Thursday was significant to say nothing of the timing of what happened on Thursday. The timing of the hybrid roundtable was no accident. Uh, The roundtable taking place the day after Washington announced its new name as commanders was totally done on purpose. The timing of the roundtable was a giant bleep you to Dan Snyder. And you know what? Congress is allowed to do that. These victims are allowed to to do that but this does need to be said the timing of this round table was in no way by accident. the roundtable was an attempt to rob the team of any positive momentum off the announcement of the new name of commanders uh, six former Washington employees spoke at the round table five of the former Washington employees had been announced the previous Thursday those five were Emily Applegate, Melody Coburn, Rachel Engelson. Anna Nuñez and Brad Baker. All five of those witnesses are familiar names if you've been following the workplace misconduct scandal. All five of those witnesses are familiar in terms of having previously gone on the record about Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. However, also speaking at the round table on Thursday was a sixth former Washington employee. That person was Tiffany A. Johnston, and very interestingly, It was what Tiffany Johnston said that, at least to me, was more impactful than anything else that was said. So from our perspective as fans of the team, now known as the commanders, uh, maybe the most relevant thing about this workplace misconduct scandal beyond, you know, what these women went through uh, is what the scandal means for Dan Snyder. Like, of course, nothing with the scandal matters more than the human element. Again, what these women went through. But from a football standpoint, okay, if like we're just... Isolating the football aspect of Washington's workplace misconduct scandal, nothing matters more than what this scandal could mean for Dan Snyder. This scandal always has had the potential to take down Dan Snyder, more so than the name controversy, more so than the ownership turmoil. And of course, if Danny gets ousted, well, it is so on in terms of things finally getting better for our football team. But Danny being ousted via this workplace misconduct scandal always has been a long shot. And over the last 12 months, Danny being ousted became even more of a long shot given how Dan emerged from that ownership turmoil more powerful than ever before, right? Via buying out his three now former disgruntled minority partners, Fred Smith, Dwight Shar and Robert Rothman, and buying those three guys out at a reported discounted price of $875 million with a reported $450 million debt waiver for which the NFL's Finance Committee made a special exemption. However, what always has been the wild card in this workplace misconduct scandal as it relates to Dan is any allegation specific to Dan. Now, there already had been allegations specific to Dan. Entering Thursday's roundtable, there were, as best as I could tell, three major allegations involving Dan in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. One is an allegation that Dan, in April 2009, engaged in some sort of sexual misconduct with a woman on a flight from Las Vegas to the D.C. area on Dan's private plane, Uh, Dan and the woman reportedly reached a financial settlement for a staggering $1.6 million. That was reported by the Washington Post in an article in December 2020. Another allegation involving Dan is former Washington cheerleader Tiffany Bacon-Scourby In a Washington Post article in August 2020, accusing Dan of having approached her at a 2004 charity event at which the cheerleaders were performing and suggesting that she join his close friend in a hotel room so they, quote, could get to know each other better end quote. Uh, Scowerby's account was supported by three friends she spoke to shortly afterward about the alleged incident, including the team's former cheerleader director. And then a third allegation involving Dan is the Good Bits allegation that according to Brad Baker, the taping of Beauties on the Beach, which was the official video chronicling the making of the team's 2008 cheerleader swimsuit calendar, included the taping of another video intended strictly for private use. That video featured moments when nipples were inadvertently exposed as the women shifted positions or adjusted props. The lewd outtakes were what the now former voice of the Redskins, Larry Michael, per Baker, referred to as the good bits or the good parts. Baker said that Michael told staffers to make the video for Dan. Now, Larry Michael has adamantly denied this allegation. The Washington Post obtained a copy of the 2008 video from another former employee, along with a similar outtakes video from the cheerleader squad swimsuit calendar shoot in the Dominican Republic in 2010 that included a close-up of one cheerleader's pubic area obscured only by gold body paint. So those had been the three Dan Snyder-specific allegations in Washington's workplace misconduct scandal until Thursday's hybrid roundtable. So Tiffany A. Johnston, a former cheerleader and marketing manager for Washington, she on Thursday said the following.
2: I learned on one specific occasion that when I was asked by my boss to attend a networking event, and oh, to dress cute, it was actually an orchestration by him and Dan Snyder to put me in a compromising sexual situation. I learned that placing me strategically by the owner at a work dinner after this networking event was not for me to discuss business, but to allow him, Dan Snyder, to place his hand on my thigh under the table. I learned how to discreetly remove a man's unwanted hand from my thigh at a crowded dinner table at a busy restaurant to avoid a scene. I learned that job survival meant I should continue my conversation with another coworker rather than call out Dan Snyder right then in the moment. I also learned later that evening how to awkwardly laugh when Dan Snyder aggressively pushed me towards his limo with his hand on my lower back, encouraging me to ride with him to my car. I learned how to continue to say no, even though a situation was getting more awkward, uncomfortable and physical. I learned that the only reason Dan Snyder removed his hand from my back and stopped pushing me towards his limo was because his attorney intervened and said, Dan, Dan, this is a bad idea, a very bad idea, Dan. I learned that I should remove myself from Dan's grip while his attorney was distracting him. I also learned at that moment during an unspoken conversation between my boss and I, that my boss was not there to look out for me he was there to listen to any directive his boss, Dan Snyder, had given to him at my cost. The next day I learned when I told a senior coworker about Dan Snyder's sexual advance that I should quote, not repeat this story to anyone outside this office door. That was when I also learned there was no one to go to about Dan Snyder's advance, no path to report the incident, so I learned to move on. As a Washington Redskins cheerleader, I learned a lot as well. In the last couple of years, I learned that Dan Snyder, via senior vice president, demanded my unedited enlarged lingerie calendar photo be sent to his office. I learned that this demand was made urgently because they knew that the graphic artist was getting ready to Photoshop my personal areas before the edited proof went before all of the senior VPs and Dan Snyder for approval.
1: All right, that right there, just some of what former Washington cheerleader and former Washington marketing manager Tiffany Johnston said at the round table in front of Congress on Thursday. Really powerful stuff. I mean, jaw-dropping stuff in a lot of ways. Tragic stuff in a lot of ways. Nobody deserves to be subjected to that kind of treatment at work. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And Yes, that stuff was Dan Snyder specific. That was serious stuff. I mean, that allegation by Johnston that she was, quote, strategically, end quote, seated by Dan Snyder at a work dinner so that he could put, quote, his hand on the middle of my thigh until I physically removed it, end quote, that is a very serious allegation. That allegation from Johnston that Dan, quote, aggressively pushed, end quote, her toward his limo later that night, before his attorney intervened, advising him not to engage in the, quote, very bad idea, end quote, that is a very serious allegation. Like, it's one thing for Dan to flirt with her, come on to her, even ask her to hook up with him. I mean, those things are inappropriate enough, but that Dan, according to Johnston, got physical with her, touched her, inappropriately, aggressively pushed her. Again, very serious allegations. There was a lot more that was said at the roundtable on Thursday, but nothing at least to me stood out like what Tiffany Johnston said. There also, though, was this in terms of a new allegation specific to Dan Snyder. Someone else who spoke at the roundtable on Thursday was Melanie Coburn, a former director of marketing, marketing coordinator and cheerleader for Washington. Take a listen to some of what Melanie Coburn said.
0: Early in my marketing role, I was invited to an awards trip in Aspen. I was one of two women that stayed in Dan Snyder's home. After a drunken dinner at a restaurant that included watching my boss go shot for shot with a female employee and seeing another colleague haze to drink despite being a recovering addict, I returned to Dan Snyder's house only to be sent to my room in the basement and told to stay there. I later learned from a colleague who was there that it was because the men had invited prostitutes back.
1: So, former Washington director of marketing, marketing coordinator, and cheerleader Melanie Coburn at the roundtable on Thursday described an employee, quote, awards trip, end quote, to Dan Snyder's home in Aspen, Colorado. At a dinner of heavy drinking, she said, a colleague was, quote, hazed to drink despite being a recovering addict, end quote. After returning to Dan's house, she said she was told to go stay in her room in the basement. Quote, I later learned from a colleague who was there that it was because the men had invited prostitutes back. End quote. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving. First off, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Now, it's important to note that all of these things are allegations. And just because you're accused of something doesn't mean that you are guilty of that something. Dan Snyder has said very little throughout this workplace misconduct scandal in terms of responding to specific allegations. But Dan Snyder on Thursday put out a lengthy statement. The statement read as follows, quote, I have acknowledged and apologized multiple times in the past for the misconduct which took place at the team, and he capitalizes team, and the harm suffered by some of our valued employees. I apologize again today for this conduct and fully support the people who have been victimized and have come forward to tell their stories. In response to learning about incidents like these in 2020, the team on its own undertook to revamp its policies, procedures, and personnel. Real change has been made and employees of the team have confirmed the vast improvement in team culture over the past 18 months. While past conduct at the team was unacceptable, the allegations leveled against me personally in today's roundtable, many of which are well over 13 years old, are outright lies. I unequivocally deny having participated in any such conduct at any time and with respect to any person. Tanya and I will not be distracted by those with a contrary agenda from continuing with the positive personnel and cultural changes. That have been made at the team over the past 18 months, and those that we continue to make both on and off the field. End quote. So, Dan, in this statement that he put out on Thursday, very clearly calls Tiffany Johnston and Melanie Coburn liars. He says that they are lying. He says what they are saying, at least specific to him. Is fake news. So what now? Well, there continue to be cries to hashtag release the report. Uh, that got going again on Thursday on Twitter. Hashtag release the report, i.e., cries for the Beth Wilkinson report to be released. And as I keep saying, there is no Beth Wilkinson report to release. You can't release that which does not exist. There is no report, not as far as we can tell. Okay. The NFL was very smart in how it did this Beth Wilkinson investigation. The NFL, as far as we know, didn't have Beth Wilkinson put together an actual written report so that there never could be a written report to release. Her report, as far as we know, was oral. The Beth Wilkinson investigation into Washington's workplace misconduct scandal never produced an actual written report as far as we know. Now, perhaps there are notes and other documents that exist. Although, if I'm the NFL, I got rid of those notes and other documents a long time ago, okay? I shredded those bad boys months ago. Now, maybe Beth Wilkinson has notes and other documents. Maybe Beth Wilkinson did put together a written report and just never gave it to anybody. We don't know. But as far as we do know, there is no written report. And so I'm not sure where all of this can lead in terms of Dan Snyder. Now, look, in most other businesses, a guy with all of the stuff swirling around him, as is swirling around the Donnie, would have been removed years ago. Okay? I mean, most other professions wouldn't put up with this garbage. We now have five significant allegations involving Dan Snyder, in this workplace misconduct scandal. And some of the allegations are worse than others, but they're all bad. How many other people and how many other lines of work would still be in power given a similar situation? Very few. But Dan's not normal. Dan's an NFL owner. Dan's part of one of the most exclusive clubs in the world. And Dan is filthy rich. And he, for whatever reason, has maintained the backing of the other NFL owners. They, for whatever reason, still want Dan around. And so they have helped him through everything over the last few years, including making that special debt waiver exemption for him to buy out Fred Smith, Dwight Shaw, and Robert Rothman. Forget about Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell works for the owners. Way too many people spend way too much time talking about Roger Goodell. He doesn't truly run the NFL. The owners run the NFL. Goodell works for the owners. The NFL commissioner works for the NFL owners. The NFL owners decide truly who stays and who goes. And they, for whatever reason, have decided that Dan stays. Now, if the other NFL owners ever turn on Dan, then watch out, he's done. But assuming that he still has their backing, it's still hard for me to see him being ousted. And the plausible deniability with all of this stuff is that it is he said, she said. Like, do I believe what Tiffany Johnston and Melanie Coburn said on Thursday? Yes, I do. But if Dan says that none of that stuff ever happened, and there is no written Beth Wilkinson report that might verify what happened, and Wilkinson remains silent on what she found in her investigation, well, that's not enough to remove Dan Snyder as owner of the commanders. Even with these other allegations, if they're all he said, she said, you as the NFL can't just operate off assumption of guilt, even if you want to operate off assumption of guilt. If everything that Tiffany Johnston and Melanie Coburn said on Thursday is true, that really is a joke, okay? That these people had to experience what they experienced, especially Tiffany Johnston. You know, it says so much about the absolute low-class, low-IQ operation that the team has been. Just a total low-grade, low-brow, low-intelligence operation. Remember, the cause of Congress getting involved In Washington's workplace misconduct scandal, was the reigniting of the scandal via the leaked emails from Bruce Allen during his time as a Washington executive. The scandal, for all intents and purposes, was over. Then came the leaking of the emails. The emails cost John Gruden his job as Las Vegas Raiders head coach this past October. He's now suing the NFL and Roger Goodell, and it was the leaked emails that led to Congress asking questions about Washington's workplace misconduct scandal. Who leaked the emails remains a big mystery, but the leaking of the emails ultimately is what led to this roundtable on Thursday. I've talked about Dan Snyder's and the NFL's strategy this reignited workplace misconduct scandal. I've actually talked about the strategy as a rhyming key and the rhyming key is this, deny and delay and hope that it all goes away. I'm not telling you that those things are the right things to be doing. I am telling you that that very much is the strategy for Dan and the NFL With this workplace misconduct scandal. Deny and delay and hope that it all goes away. Hope that the news cycle continues to churn and that eventually what is an outrage today becomes a forgotten topic tomorrow or someday. Well, that strategy continues to be employed by Dan in the NFL. Deny and delay and hope that it all goes away. But whether that strategy works now can be called into question because the scandal got even bigger with some of what was said at this roundtable in front of Congress on Thursday. Well, there's no doubt that you need thick skin these days if you're a fan of the commanders and you certainly always want to have a healthy skin. Uh, there's nobody better to ensure that you have healthy skin than Dr. George Verghese of the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. Verghese is a board certified dermatologist and Moe's Surgeon he is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big fan of the team, now known as the Commanders. He's a big listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer treatments for conditions such as acne, psoriasis, and eczema. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer state-of-the-art services such as Botox, laser hair removal, and chemical peels. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer advanced treatments for many skin cancers. Heck, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. When you call, make sure that you say, hey, Al Galdi sent me Uh, that phone number again, 301-396-3401. Or you can visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery, Institute of Maryland. Up next, an update on the patch, the crest for the Commanders. The three Super Bowl winning years for the franchise on the crest are 1983, 1988, and 1992. Uh, the years should be 1982, 1987, and 1991. Jason Wright on Thursday addressed the controversy. You'll hear what he had to say and what I have to say about what he had to say up next.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, we have an update on the controversy regarding the crest for the commanders. Say that ten times fast. The controversy regarding the crest for the commanders. Uh the crest or the patch is the thing that came out on Wednesday on February 2nd, 2022, on 2.2.22. That included the five years of the franchise's NFL title/slash. Super Bowl titles as being 1937, 1942, 1983, 1988, and 1992. Now, nobody has any problems with 1937 and 1942. The Washington Redskins won NFL championship games in December 1937 and December 1942 for the 1937 and 1942 seasons, respectively. So 37 and 42 on the crest make total sense. But the Washington Redskins won Super Bowls for the 1982, 1987, and 1991 seasons. Anyone who's a big Skins slash Washington football team slash Commanders fan knows that 82, 87, 91 are the three Super Bowl winning seasons for the franchise. And yet the crest includes the years 1983, 1988, And 1992. Now, obviously, those years are on the crest because those are the years in which the Super Bowls that the Skins won took place. But nobody, and I mean nobody, considers the Skins Super Bowl winning teams or Super Bowl winning seasons to be 1983, 1988, and 1992. The Skins Super Bowl winning teams, Super Bowl winning seasons are 82, 87, 91. Again, Every true Skins fan knows that. The Crest should have 37, 42, 82, 87, and 91 as the five years of the franchise's NFL titles slash Super Bowl titles. And I do think that most fans, maybe not every fan, but most fans are in agreement on that. Well, here was team president Jason Wright with Kevin Sheehan on the Team 980 on Thursday morning.
3: Well, the usual nomenclature for the Super Bowl championships is the 1983 Super Bowl champions were the Washington Redskins. You know, no, the it's not. Super Bowl champions. That's not that's true. How it, that's actually how it, it gets documented in the NFL um, annals. But it's something that we can easily fix if you uh, can right. easily fix the next time you redo the logo if fans prefer um, a different methodology. But we, we chose to go with the 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 official way that it's logged in NFL annals. Um, if you look, you know, if you even if, if you look at last year, the the 2021 Super Bowl champs um, were the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Like that's that's how it gets documented, and so um, that that's what we went with, um, and we thought it was consistent because in the World Championships that predate the Super Bowls, you know, those were played in the same year as the full season, so we just wanted to be consistent across it, and. Um, If that is uh, if that is a huge point of contention that um, needs to shift in the future, um, we can do that in the future.
1: All right. So I do give Jason Wright credit for not being overly defensive there and for being open to changing those last three years on the crest. Now, maybe that openness was just lip service. Okay, like maybe Jason Wright has zero intention of ever changing those last three years. But if we take him at his word, he will at least consider changing those last three years. And that's a good thing. Lucky us. Uh, But Jason Wright is wrong when he talks about Super Bowl winning teams going down as the champions for the years in which those Super Bowls take place. He's just wrong about that. Nobody refers to a Super Bowl winning team as the champion for the year in which that Super Bowl took place. You might say that the team won the Super Bowl in the year in which the Super Bowl took place. But the reference to the team and to that season is the primary year of the regular season. We just celebrated the 30-year anniversary of the 1991 Redskins, not the 1992 Redskins. Uh, One of the greatest defenses in NFL history was that of the 1985 Chicago Bears, who won Super Bowl XX in January 1986 but the team is known as the 85 Bears, not the 86 Bears. Nobody ever says the 86 Bears. No, we say the 85 Bears. When people want to make a point about a current defense, you say, well, the defense is good, but it's not the 85 Bears, right? You don't say, well, the defense is good, but it's not the 86 Bears. If you have five minutes to kill, Google the following, okay? Google Joe Gibbs Super Bowl banners, Among the things that'll come up is a photo of the great Joe Gibbs in front of the Redskins three Super Bowl banners. The banners list the team as being the 1982 champions, the 1987 champions, and the 1991 champions. The years aren't 83, 88, and 92. The years are 82, 87, and 91. This really isn't debatable, okay? Like, I'm an open-minded person. I'm really not open-minded on this. This really isn't debatable. The years should be 82, 87, and 91. I do get that it's awkward in the NFL with labeling seasons and post-seasons because regular seasons happen in one year and then post-seasons happen in the next year. But the way that it always has worked is that you refer to the team and the overall season as that first year. So we right now are in the midst of of the NFL postseason for the 2021 season. You might say, well, this is the 2022 NFL postseason, but the 2022 NFL postseason is for the 2021 season. Either the Los Angeles Rams or the Cincinnati Bengals will be the Super Bowl champions for the 2021 season. And I know that this whole years on the crest thing can seem trivial, but it really isn't. This stuff matters to people, okay? This stuff matters to fans, and this stuff should matter to the team. Details matter. This team for years, both in terms of football operations and business operations, has been terrible at attention to detail. Details matter. Get the details right, even things that may seem trivial or small. Because here's the thing. If you can't get the small stuff right then you're not going to get the big stuff right. If you can't get the details on a crest right, how are you going to get the details on, say, a new stadium right? Now, look, people make mistakes. The years on the crest thing is a forgivable mistake. I mean, Jason Wright had about 4 million things he had to be thinking about with this rebranding. I do think that the crest as an idea is a good one. I like the look of the crest. I think the crest looks sharp beyond those three years as the Super Bowl championship years. Jason Wright and the team did a nice job with the crest, except with those last three years. And so fix them. okay? get them right. Make them right. Jason Wright. When it comes to the franchise's Super Bowl winning seasons on the crest, don't be Jason wrong. Be Jason Wright. Well, what is happening with Georgetown right now is sad. I mean, this is just sad. The Hoyas winning the Big East tournament last season now looks like a complete fluke. I mean, that was a great run. That was a miracle run to win the Big East tournament and make the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2015. But it turns out that that run to win the Big East tournament last season meant nothing in terms of the state of the program. I mean, That was the fear as a Georgetown fan when the Hoyas won that Big East tournament. Great run, but maybe it doesn't mean as much as the Hoyas fan wants it to mean. And sure enough, that's the conclusion you have to have arrived at by now. Georgetown got demolished by Colorado in the first round of the NCAA tournament last year. And Georgetown this season is terrible. That run to win the Big East tournament last season ultimately meant nothing. The Hoyas fell to 6 and 14 overall and 0 and 9 in the Big East with a 90-77 loss to St. John's at McDonough Arena on Thursday evening. The Hoyas lost their 10th consecutive game. The Hoyas now are eight games below 500. Again, 6 and 14 overall. The last time that Georgetown was at least 8 games below 500 the 1971-72 season in which Georgetown went 3 and 23 it has been 50 years yes 50 years half of a century since Georgetown basketball has been this bad I just don't know how the Georgetown fan can justify Patrick Ewing continuing on as Hoya's head coach. I mean, maybe Patrick lasts the rest of this season. Okay, fine. But how do you move forward with Patrick as head coach? This is his fifth season as Hoya's head coach. He has had plenty of time to get this program going. And look, I say this as someone who likes Patrick. I did not think that Patrick being hired as Georgetown head coach was a bad idea. You know, Patrick worked as an NBA assistant coach for years before becoming Hoyas head coach. It was easy to dismiss the Hoyas hiring of Patrick as head coach as, "Oh, there you go, the old John Thompson guard rewarding itself again." But no, Patrick was not just handed this job out of nowhere off having done nothing in coaching. Patrick had worked very hard in coaching. But what are we doing here with Patrick as Hoya's head coach? Where are we going here with Patrick Ewing as Hoya's head coach? The team is awful. The program has made the NCAA tournament just one time since the end of the 2014-2015 season. And that one time was the result of a Big East tournament victory that now looks like a fluke. I mean, how else can you categorize that run to win the Big East tournament last season. All of this talk about some of the great recruits who Patrick has landed has led to nothing. What are we doing here? Where are we going here? You know, it's not like St. John's is some great team this season, and yet the Hoyas on Thursday evening never led in the game, trailed by double-digit points for most of the second half. The Hoyas had more problems on defense Georgetown held St. John's to 9 of 26 on threes okay, but Georgetown allowed St. John's to go 26 of 43 on twos. Uh the Hoyas could not stop Julian Champeny. He went 6 of 12 on threes, finished with 27 points, 6 rebounds and 4 assists versus 3 turnovers. Georgetown has been one of the worst defensive teams in the country this season. The Hoyas as of games through Thursday are just 271st out of 358 men's basketball teams in Division One in adjusted defensive efficiency for KenPalm.com. Adjusted defensive efficiency is points allowed per 100 possessions adjusted for opponents. A Georgetown team head coached by Patrick Ewing one of the great defensive players in college basketball history is 271st in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency. Uh offensively, the Hoyas on Thursday night 9 of 24 on threes, okay, but a horrendous 18 of 48 on twos. I mentioned some of these highly touted recruits for Georgetown not doing as much as people thought those recruits would. Uh, Aminu Muhammad stands out in this regard. Six-five, five star freshman. He on Thursday night, 0 of 1 on threes, 1 of 12 on twos, and 31 minutes as a starter. Now, look, Aminu Muhammad hasn't been a bad player for the Hoyas, but he has not been the game changer that plenty of Georgetown fans hope that he'd be. Uh, Point guard Dante Harris on Thursday night, just one of four on threes, just three of eight on twos. He finished with 10 points, did have nine rebounds, four assists versus three turnovers in 37 minutes as a starter. Two bright spots for Georgetown were Donald Carey and Caden Rice. Uh, Carey, three of seven on threes, four of seven on twos, six of seven on free throws. He finished with 23 points, seven rebounds and two steals in 38 minutes as a starter, carries Georgetown's best player, uh, Caden Rice, a graduate transfer from the Citadel, three-point specialist. I've talked about him. When he's on, he's great. When he's off, he's not so great. He was on on Thursday night, five of ten on threes. He scored 20 points in 27 minutes off the bench. But otherwise, the nightmare continues for Georgetown. Six and 14 overall. 0 oh, and nine in the Big East. 10 consecutive losses. Remember when people complained about John Thompson III too often losing to double-digit seeds in NCAA tournaments? Yeah, well, at least JT3 made NCAA tournaments. Hoyas fans didn't know how good they had it with JT3 as head coach. Next up for Georgetown, home to number 15 Providence, Sunday at noon. The weekend, always a good time to catch up on anything that you may have missed on the podcast. Monday show, episode 240 featured a lot on the team now known as the commanders off the NFL's two conference championship games, including the incredible impact of Joe Burrow on the Cincinnati Bengals. What could have been for Washington with Burrow in the 2020 NFL Draft and with trading for Matthew Stafford in the 2021 offseason. And what now with a potential Washington pursuit of Jimmy Garoppolo? Tuesday's show, episode 241, featured an in-depth film breakdown of the team, now known as the Commanders with Commanders analyst Mark Bullock. Wednesday show, episode 242, was a final goodbye to Redskins, including an honest, no holds barred, non PC conversation on why the team changed its name from Redskins, and Thursday's show episode 243 featured reaction to the announcement of the name Commanders, including how the reveal and rollout were not what they should have been. You tell me what you think. Keep the feedback coming. Always enjoy hearing from you. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show episode 245 will feature Senior Bowl talk. Uh, not so much the game, you know, not so much the actual Senior Bowl on Saturday, but Senior Bowl week. We'll look at how the major quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl are looking for our commanders with them having the number 11 pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. Remember, five top quarterback prospects for this year's draft are on Senior Bowl rosters. Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Carson Strong, Sam Howell, and Malik Willis. Also on Monday's show, I'll discuss the rest of our Washington, D.C. sports weekend. The Wizards will host the NBA-leading Phoenix Suns Saturday night at 7. Maryland will be at number 16 Ohio State Sunday afternoon at 1. Georgetown will host number 15 Providence Sunday at noon. Virginia will host Miami Saturday evening at 5. Virginia Tech will be at Pitt Saturday night at 7. We also this weekend have the NHL All-Star Game, and the Pro Bowl, so knock yourself out watching those things, especially the Pro Bowl, which I cannot stand. Uh, But have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday.
0: I returned to Dan Snyder's house only to be sent to my room in the
3: basement and told to stay there. I later learned from a colleague who was there that it was because the men had invited prostitutes back.